When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Pineapple Pizza Podcast discusses the histories, cultures, and beliefs of regions around the world. These stories often contain mature and sometimes disturbing content that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Pineapple Pizza Podcast, where we serve up delicious slices of mythology, cryptozoology, and urban legends. It's an interesting combination of flavors. Weird, but it works. Today's special is Scottish mythology. I'm your hostess, Ashley, and with me today, as always, are the fabulous and funny Emily and Lindsay. What's shaking? Hey, hey. Hey, hey. Um, I don't know what's shaking, but maybe me if I ingest enough caffeine. It doesn't look like it's happening yet, though. Not just yet. (laughs) I'm still steady. (laughs) Oh, good God. So before we start this, I'd like to say, (laughs) I would just like to say that, Jay, please still be friends with me if I mess this up. (laughs) Because I am very nervous. And I am very stressed. I think this is the first time that we've done a region where I've like actively talked to someone who's originally from there and it's not like the US or Canada. (laughs) 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 And like, I can shit all over the US as much as I want because I'm from here. And if I fuck something up, who cares? But it's like really insulting if you fuck someone something up and it's someone else's home country. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm going to do the best that I can. He was nice enough to teach me how to say the name of this whirlpool, which I very much appreciate because I was doing it wrong. So So we'll see how this goes. I think I'm going to hold the sources for the end this time just because I don't want to give everything away up front. So we're just going to move right in and start on the context. Cool, because I'm hungry. Oh, okay. Well, hopefully you enjoy this, because there's a lot of history. (laughs) Yay! (laughs) We love history. So, I went way back. Uh, Scotland's earliest known uh, human population... Like, nope, I already fucked up. I gotta start over. Scotland's earliest known occupation by humans was during the Paleolithic era, which, you know, those of us who aren't that cool, just call the Stone Age. Mm -hmm. Because it's easier, (laughs) and it doesn't have as many syllables, and I know how to say Stone Age. Mm -hmm. And I don't freak out right before I say it and fuck up the whole rest of the sentence. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, for those of you who don't know, that's circa 10,000 BCE, and I need to take my dog's toy because it's driving me insane. I'll be back. Since we don't have elevator music. Yeah. She pulled the crinkly thing out of one of her crinkly toys and it gets oh. much, it gets much louder once it's not in the fabric anymore. Yeah. And I was like, I can't I can't concentrate if that's going on. Yeah. Have you have you guys seen the picture of the person that posted their dog had ripped apart a, a cactus toy and inside the cactus toy was another cactus toy and they're like, This is the smartest dog toy manufacturer on the planet. <laughs> No, I didn't, but that's so fucking cool. She rips everything open and then she plays with whatever is inside of it. And today it just happens to be that really loud, crinkly shit. So that was not good. I kind of hope that that cactus thing is like a Russian nesting, nesting doll. Nesting doll. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to get you one. Every center is just like a slightly smaller cactus. And then the very inside is a tiny little like cactus eraser. Or something like that. <laughs> oh no, then they poop rubber. <laughs> yeah, she she would eat the, that last bit, but you know, it's she's a dog. She's a fucking yeah. dog. I love her to death, but she will drive me insane eventually, so it's fine. <laughs> All right, back to history. The earliest surviving prehistoric tools found in Scotland can be dated to the Neolithic Age, which is circa 3000 BCE when the earlier nomadic civilizations began to give way to the first farmers who built permanent dwellings there. They were like, hey, it's slightly less cold. Maybe we should put a house here. Hey, I like to eat. Maybe I should make some food. (laughs) Hunting sucks. (laughs) I want to gather. (laughs) Hey, I'm really tired of walking. What if we just stay here for a while? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) That's an awesome idea, Bob. Oh my god, his name would be Bob, probably. (laughs) Now, with that being said, let's talk written history, because we all know that never goes back as far as everything else. So Scotland's written history can only be dated back to 124 CE, with the arrival of, you probably already guessed it, the Romans! Fuck those guys! (laughs) Toga! Toga! Toga. <laughs> it's a party up in here. <laughs> oh my god, for everybody who's not a plebe, and they don't get to go to the party. <laughs> okay, that got dark. <laughs> Jerry and I have arrived. <laughs> I don't know why that's so funny, but it is. Okay, so you're going to like this next part because it makes me laugh. So the Romans built two huge fortifications, Hadrian's Wall on the northern border of Scotland and the Antonine Wall in central Scotland that were supposed to help them maintain control of the area. But they were never able to actually conquer Scotland because they couldn't defeat the Caledonians and the Picts. Fuck you, Rogan. <laughs> <laughs> you want to come in here with your big fuck-off walls and you think you're just going to win, but you can't win. 
<laughs> but my wall and my toga. <laughs> <laughs> So eventually, those bastards packed their bags and went back to where they came from. <laughs> I don't want to play with you guys anymore. I'm going home. You guys don't follow the rules anyway. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Woo, all right. But the Romans were not the only outside tribe to find their way into Scotland. By 800 CE, the Vikings began arriving from modern-day Norway and Denmark and began to settle in Scotland. Now, as those groups branched out in the western part of Scotland, the Picts were busy forging the Kingdom of Alba between the years 900 and 1286 CE. Okay? Oh, okay. Now, there's a lot of other really fascinating stuff I'd like to talk about when it comes to Scottish history, but if I don't limit myself to what we need, <laughs> you will have to listen to me talk forever and we will never get to the story. So, <laughs> what I am basically am getting at with the part that we've gone through so far is that the intermixing of Norse culture with early Scottish tribes is almost certainly what gave birth to the story I'm planning to share with you today. So it's important Ooh. to get there. And I included that shit about the Romans because fuck the Romans. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> but I do want to talk a little bit about some specific geographical stuff because it's going to be important. So let's listen to me butcher words from a different part of the vocabulary that I don't have. <laughs> In the Gulf of Karevrikan, from the Gaelic Quarbrikane, I probably fucked that off, but I'm doing the best I can. And Jay, I'm really sorry. Please be my friend still. <laughs> it's located not far off Scotland's west coast and nestled between the northern tip of two islands that belong to Scotland. So those islands are Jura and Scarba. Now this gulf contains the third largest whirlpool in the world. That's Ooh, cool. It's That's cool. real cool. According to Joe Wolf's page on the whirlpool of Kareverkin, Quote, the maelstrom has been known and revered by mariners ever since humans first ventured into the rich and fertile waters of the Firth of Lorne, end quote. So, yeah, it's pretty cool, but also kind of scary. And maybe you don't want to sail in there if you don't have to. Especially if you suffer from motion sickness, because you're screwed. Yeah, I would barf a yeah, whole bunch. hard. <laughs> It's just, it's not good. I feel like you'd be like, this is cool. <laughs> Probably, yeah. And then I would keep trying to pretend that I'm still enjoying it, even though I'm barfing on people. <laughs> that sounds like me. I'm so dignified. <laughs> <laughs> this is a great time. <sighs> this is such a cool natural marvel. I'm going to throw up again. <laughs> Um, now, the whirlpool itself is the result of several geographical and uh, topographical... <laughs> God, these words are hard for me. You nailed it. <laughs> ...oddities that come together in just the right way or, you know, just the wrong way if you don't like whirlpools. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it. Well, listen, some people probably do hate it because you can drown in a whirlpool. Just some to keep in mind. 
and in no way a spoiler for what's going to happen later. I mean, uh, you can drown in pretty much anything if you try hard enough or don't try hard enough. <laughs> That's oh what I was my just god! <laughs> Fall asleep in your lasagna lately? Be careful, you might drown. Mondays, am I right? <laughs> oh my god! Now I'm now I'm just gonna hear Peter Capaldi as the twelfth Doctor saying, "Don't." lasagna in my head the rest of the episode. I don't know how I'm going to get through this, but I'm going to try my best. So the combination of strong Atlantic currents, a deep hole in the seabed, and a steep-sided buttress of rock that protrudes from the shore of Scarba are among the key players in the intense and violent swirling of water that forms the Kurevrican whirlpool. Can, can we take a quick pause? All this discussion of, like, geography and topography is making me kind of hot and I need to take off my pants. <laughs> okay. So hang on a second. The <laughs> pants are coming off. I'm closing the camera here so you don't see it. <laughs> She's also going to pick her nose while the camera's off. Shh. Don't give away all my secrets. I knew I took the time to say the word topographical for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> It was buttress that really got her. <laughs> Making me break a sweat. <laughs> Listen, I'm bad at uh, geology and topography, and I don't know what half the things I just said mean, but that's okay, because I looked at a picture, and I was like, okay, it kind of swirls. <laughs> <laughs> it goes like this, in a little bit of a corkscrewy type motion. <laughs> that's exactly what I said. <laughs> <laughs> Now, this next part, though, I do understand. So I think it's a little easier if, like me, some of that topographical jargon doesn't really compute. So when the flood tide enters the narrow space between Scarba and Jura, the speed of the water increases to eight and a half knots, which is roughly 9.8 miles per hour, or for everyone who's not American, 16 kilometers per hour. (laughs) Inflow from the Firth of Lorne, located to the west, can result in waves as high as 4.5 meters or approximately 15 feet. And the roar of the whirlpool can reportedly be heard up to 10 miles away. Damn. I could see that inspiring nightmares if you didn't know what that was. Yeah, so basically we have water going super fast, going through a narrow area where it's meeting other water coming in from a different direction, and it does a corkscrew. Boom. Whirlpool. (laughs) And it makes a really loud noise. Yeah. Do you think some of that roar is just the result of all the sea life going, ah? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe? Wrong current! (laughs) Oh, shit! Maybe it's like in Finding Nemo. When yeah. They the, yeah. I'd turn back if I were you, but I can't. Because <laughs> it's a corkscrew. <laughs> Not unlike a duck's penis. <laughs> I need help. I need help. Oh my Duck god. Tails. Woo. <laughs> oh no. Don't do that. It's a children's classic. <laughs> <laughs> oh no what has happened today <laughs> I don't know 
I don't know, but Ashley brought duck penises into it. <laughs> I let the word corkscrew go by like four times before I can. <sighs> All right, I can do this. While not considered impossible to navigate by the Royal Navy, only highly skilled seamen. Oh, God. <laughs> it was okay, except for the duck penis. <laughs> <laughs> We were fine until we got to the duck penis. <laughs> Only highly skilled sailors have the ability to sail through the Karevrican whirlpool as its treacherous waters can easily prove fatal to the inexperienced. And with that, I feel I finished laying the groundwork or maybe the seabed question mark for our <laughs> tale. <laughs> so it's time to take a quick break. And we're back. I hope you're hungry because it's time for our main course and it's sure to make a splash. Uh, Ooh. <laughs> I, went, I brought my parka. We're good. <laughs> I leaned way too hard into the puns, but you know what? It's all right. I'm wearing my waiter, so I'm good. See, I still have that uh, sparkly rainbow parka that Ashley farted out way back when. <laughs> very <Yeah>. absorbent. <laughs> it's true. Very true. I make excellent parkas, so you do. You do. All right. A handsome Scandinavian prince named Brecken, who in some versions of this story is from Norway and in other versions is from Denmark, which I'm going to totally negate by just saying Scandinavian the whole time. You're welcome. He fell in love with the daughter of the Lord of the Isles. Uh oh. Oh yeah, unable to stop thinking of his love, Brecken asked her father for his daughter's hand in marriage, because that's what you did back then. Some people still do it. I don't think you should do it anymore, though. Please don't do it. Uh -uh. Yeah, it's kind of gross. Because he didn't wish for his daughter to marry this suitor, the crafty lord proposed a challenge he thought the young prince would not accept. If he wished to marry the princess, Brecken must prove his courage and skill by anchoring his boat for three days and three nights in the whirlpool of Karevrikin. Nice. <laughs> that's, an, that's a really evil challenge. That's that is. Up. So yeah, it is kind of a messed up thing. He's pretty much like, I double dog dare you to do now. <laughs> that's not what happened, but he's like, you can't marry my daughter unless you do this. Okay? So... To his astonishment, Prince Brecken agreed to the challenge and said he would return soon to undertake this demonstration of fortitude and sailing prowess. So he was basically like, challenge accepted, boy. What? And then <laughs> he left. Please. <laughs> I was picturing him standing on the ship and being like, boom. And then it like slowly pulls back <laughs> from the beach. As it's like, I'll be back. <laughs> It'd be so slow, though. I'm going to stand here in slow motion wave until I'm gone. <laughs> but I'll be back, Dad. <laughs> Don't call me Dad. I'm going to call you Pops right now, because that's how sure I am that I'm going to pull this off. <laughs> Brecken returned briefly to his homeland where he consulted with the three wise men of Lachlan on how best to complete the Lord of the Isles' challenge. 
Now, when Brecken's father learned of the news, he feared greatly for his son's safety, but he also knew in his heart that nothing would dissuade the prince from undertaking the challenge. His son was far too in love with the Princess of the Isles to abandon any hope of marrying her. So he's basically like, oh, this is not good. But there's also <laughs> nothing I can do about it. After some thought, the three wise men told Brecken he would need three ropes in order to safely perform this difficult task. The first should be made of hemp. The <laughs> second... <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right. <laughs> oh, Matthew McConaughey's here. What? <laughs> the second should be made of wool. And the third should be made from the hair of a virtuous maiden or maidens. Um. I don't know about the last one. Yeah, it's a little weird. The belief behind this last was that the purity and innocence of the women would imbue their hair with magical strength, allowing it to hold for the three days and three nights required for the prince's vessel to withstand the challenge. Do they understand how hair works? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it doesn't do anything but just be there. And break a lot. And break. <laughs> I don't think they had a lot of great shampoo back then, but I'm just going to go on a limb for that. So basically, they were looking for like a colony of Rapunzels that they could go harvest hair from. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Best of luck to you. Yeah. You guys know where I can find any princesses trapped in any towers? Anyone? <laughs> I do, but she's on the other side of this gigantic whirlpool. <laughs> I do, but she's behind a giant wall. That's some Romans left behind. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Oh, shit. <laughs> See, it's a good thing I left the Romans in here, even though it was just because I wanted to trash floor. <laughs> okay, so three ropes. Yes. And hair, virginal hair. Yep, pure. Yes. So while the king knew this advice was sound and believed these instructions could allow his son to succeed in the challenge, he held out a secret hope that the third rope would prove to be too difficult to make so that his son might be forced to abandon the challenge and find another bride. So dad's like, hee hee, at least that third one's going to be pretty difficult. Maybe he can't make it. And it'll be all right. Because <laughs> they're all whores here. Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's more like that's a lot of hair to make yeah, a whole I know. fucking rope. But sure. <laughs> Brecken set forth and easily secured the first two ropes, but he struggled to find enough virtuous women who were willing to part with a bunch of their hair, because let's be honest, it's not, you're not just gonna be like, go ahead and shave all my fucking hair off, that sounds like a great deal for me. So he struggled to get enough hair, basically, to make the last rope. Only after traversing a great distance did he successfully collect enough hair to have the final rope made. So it was hard, as his father predicted, but he did manage to pull it off. Uh, as soon as this rope was completed, Brecken and his crew departed for the Isles to earn the approval of the Lord to marry the beautiful princess. As dictated by the terms of the challenge, Prince Brecken anchored his boat in the Karevrican whirlpool, intent on spending the prescribed three days and three nights there to prove he was worthy of the Lord of the Isles' blessing to marry his daughter. 
Using only the three ropes he had, he'd had fashioned, according to the counsel of the three wise men of Lachlan. So they get the boat in position and they anchor it with these three ropes that are supposedly going to be able to pull this off. Throughout the first day, Brecken's resolve and hope grew as all three of the ropes held fast, keeping the boat securely moored in the maelstrom. But during that first long night, the hemp rope finally snapped from the constant onslaught of the whirlpool, leaving only the ropes of wool and maidenhair to hold the boat in place. This sent a small burst of fear into Brecken's heart, but his faith in the wise men and his love for his future bride remained steadfast. The Lord of the Isles was likely surprised when he found the prince still there during the second day. (laughs) (laughs) Is he not dead yet? This is insane. Madness, I tell you. Um, But sure enough, the boat could be seen still anchored in the whirlpool. Brecken, his trusty crew, and his always loyal dog were all safe aboard as the second day wore on. When night fell, the men looked upon the stars in the sky, imagining the end of the challenge would be within sight soon. But alas, before the sun rose on the third morning, the second cable, this one made of wool, snapped. And the prince's ship was now supported solely by the rope woven from the hair of the virtuin... Virtuin? Virtuous maidens <laughs> of his homeland. That's two words. It's not one. <laughs> I bet he's hoping that they were all telling the truth about their <laughs> virtue. This is when he starts sweating. <laughs> Just like, oh no. Okay. Your eyes. <laughs> the wise men had been correct that this rope would prove to be the strongest of the three. But would it be enough to see the task to its completion? We'll find out. After these messages. (laughs) Just kidding. I'm going to keep going. I'm not that big of an asshole. We'll keep going. If the Lord of the Isles had been surprised that the ship was still there on the second day, by the third, he was likely impressed, even if begrudgingly so. Perhaps the young prince was made of sterner stuff than he'd given him credit for. Perhaps he would win the princess's hand after all. There was but the remainder of the day and one full night to go. As the sun set, ushering in the final night of their ordeal, Prince Brecken could envision in his mind's eye taking the delicate hands of his beloved into his own at long last, and his heart swelled with the thought of the future they might build together. That wasn't the only thing that was swelling. I was just thinking the same thing. You know what he's really thinking. <laughs> wow, I wrote this beautiful prose and you're like, I bet you were sexually excited. <laughs> it was very lovely though. Her delicate hands. I wrote that. I had to I had to and I had to make a lot of cushion to make this story long enough <laughs> to be an episode. So that was all that part was all me. It you're was good. beautiful. It was good. I liked it. You liked it a whole bunch. I liked it enough to be aroused. (laughs) (laughs) Suddenly, a storm settled upon them in the darkness, whipping the sea around them into an even greater fury than they'd yet experienced. The wind howled, the lightning cracked, and the waves beat upon the hull of the boat with a powerful rage the likes of which Brecken had never seen. 
At first, their final rope appeared to be equal to the immense challenge of holding their position. But as the night wore on and the storm refused to abate, slowly but surely the strands of the rope began to give way until it too snapped, able to bear the combined force of the storm and the whirlpool no longer. The boat quickly became engulfed by the swirling maelstrom, which pulled the vessel and the prince under without mercy. (gasps) No. Only a single crewman and the prince's beloved dog managed to swim to the safety of Jura's shore. Oh, at least the dog made it. Yeah, the dog did make it, and that's really important because Prince Brecken's body was later recovered and brought to shore by his dog. Oh, I don't like this. If it's any comfort, the next part's kind of nice. The Lord of the Isles had the brave young man interred in the king's cave on Jura, where it rests to this day. Aww. The crewmen and the dog returned to their homeland without their prince, carrying along with them the sad tidings of his untimely death in pursuit of love. One of the maidens was racked with guilt when she learned of the prince's fate and wound up confessing that she was not as pure as she'd made out, and it was believed that her hair was what weakened the third rope and caused it to snap. Called it. Called it. You did. I just couldn't admit it earlier, because <laughs> then it would mess up the end of the story. Yeah, it would. Now that we've enjoyed our tumultuous second course, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> it's time to take a short break. Welcome back. I hope you're ready for dessert and that you like your cake moist. <laughs> I like it dry like my humor. <laughs> Melt in your mouth moist. Molten. It's going to be good. Ooh, molten Ooh. lava cake. Right? For that. So good. I haven't had any of that in a while. I have to admit that I had an immediate thought springing to my mind when I decided that I was going to do the myth about the Karevrican whirlpool for this week. And I honestly just couldn't fucking let it go because it's one of my favorites from Greek mythology. So for our dessert this week... We're going to be talking about the sea monster known as Charybdis. Now, Charybdis is basically always mentioned in Greek Greek mythology in conjunction with another sea monster, Scylla, because they were located opposite one another across a narrow channel. I think we talked briefly about them. We probably did, because anytime I can bring them up... I get in there with that. <laughs> Way back in the, the Italian cryptid episode. Yeah, that sounds about right. Any ship wishing to pass through this treacherous area was faced with a difficult and deadly choice. Should they pass closer to Scylla or to Charybdis, as one could only circumvent both dangers if you had the assistance of a god, generally speaking. So... <laughs> Usually, you're fucked. Like, someone's fucked. You don't know who it is, but someone's gonna die. (laughs) Now, the difference is that you don't know when Charybdis is going to be active. So, three times a day, Charybdis was known to swallow a vast amount of water before expelling it again in a sudden fury, creating massive whirlpools that would suck up entire ships. So, if you pass through at the right time of day, Everyone might be okay, or Hmm. everyone's dead. 
I suppose that's better than than Scylla and her dog crotch. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> don't remember she had all the dog heads on her crotch? That's well, right. Uh, I wasn't planning on mentioning that part, but okay. <laughs> well, uh, in disagreement with Emily, almost everyone else agreed that the lesser of these two evils was the six-headed Scylla, for she could only snatch six sailors from the ship as it passed by. So most of them were like, well, each head has one mouth, so that's six people. So six people, or maybe everyone. So they're basically looking around and going, sorry, suckers, six of you are gonna die. I mean, it depends on the size of the ship, but for the most part, you have no way to know which six people it would be. So right. the captain's not really any safer than anybody else. Looking at you, Oedipus. Not Oedipus. Odysseus. <laughs> <laughs> I'm tired. I'm looking at you, Odysseus, but you faced off with Charybdis twice, you unlucky bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Oedipus wouldn't be able to run very fast to get away from the heads. No, yeah. He also wouldn't be able to see where he was going. (laughs) Oh, shit! Yeah, I guess blind men weren't considered very (laughs) seaworthy. I'll get it. I'll get it. Where's the stern? (laughs) Am I on the poop deck? All right, well, heroes from Greek mythology who had to deal with Charybdis include Odysseus, Aeneas, and Jason from the Argo. But not Oedipus. No, because he was blind after he did it with his mom a bunch of times. (laughs) In my defense, in my defense, those names have a lot of the same letters in them, and I'm tired. But if you think I just don't know the difference, that's fine, too. Um, Odysseus actually went through this perilous passage twice, but fortunately for him, he was smart enough to not die either time. And when I say that, I want you to know that the first time this motherfucker was like, we're going closer to Scylla, so six people did die. He just wasn't out. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> and the second time he got sucked up in Charybdis and it was pretty funny, but I don't want to wreck it. So he didn't die though. If you know the end of the story, the Odyssey, he makes it home eventually. His wife just thought he was dead by then because it took too long, but whatever. Now, some myths depict Charybdis as just a whirlpool rather than a monster, but I think the monster image is a little bit more common just because that's the one I remember the most. I could be wrong about that, though. It's been a while since I've read some of the older epic poems. However, Modern scholars largely agree that the location of Scylla and Charybdis described in Greek myths is the Strait of Messina, where there is actually a whirlpool located. Ah. Uh, But it's worth noting that that whirlpool is really only dangerous to smaller vessels and only in extreme conditions because it's not that powerful. So, something to keep in mind. So, in Mm. other words, Karma was kind of blowing this one out of proportion when he was writing about it. Yeah, and I'm sure a lot of them did. I mean, it's not its not really a myth if, like, the thing that you're up against isn't a big deal. So. <laughs> Artistic liberty right They're there. They're probably like, yeah. I heard a tale about this thing this one time from my cousin. Now, he's a serial liar, but it's a good story, so that's <laughs> what I'm gonna put in here. 
All right, ingredients for this dish were sourced from a page on the website The Hazel Tree on the Whirlpool of Karevrikin, a page on um, Secret Scotland's blog on Romantic Scottish Legends, a page on the Karevrikin Whirlpool website called The Legend of the Scandinavian Prince, an article by Rebecca McQuillian called Mystery of Karevrikin Uncovered by Scientists from the Herald, and several Wikipedia pages, which I'm not going to individually list, and then finally, um, the history page from scotland.org. I like this story a lot. Did you? Yes. That's depressing. I, <laughs> I liked it. I read the the first place I found it was on that Hazel Tree website. And she's probably the one that had the most written about it. And I was like, this is a really cool story. I'm totally going to pick this. And then I went looking for other sources and I was like, everywhere it was a tiny paragraph. I was like, what the fuck am I going to do? <laughs> and, then, and then I was like, just read those paragraphs really closely and find things. <laughs> find Well, all of them were basically like, he was there for three days and three nights. And the first day, the first rope, you know, the first night, yep. the first rope broke. The second night, the second rope broke. And I was like, well, fuck that. I'm going to turn that. Long. That's going to be longer because it's three days and three <laughs> nights. So all of that stuff I made up about how they could imagine that it was going to be over soon, I made that up. It was not in there. And I am not sorry. <laughs> Artistic liberty. You're just a, the modern Homer. Um, Homer is rolling in his grave somewhere. <laughs> He's probably like, I didn't make that many weird sex jokes. How dare you? <laughs> but Yeah. All right, I guess, does anybody have anything good that they want to share since we're not doing something spooky anymore, I don't think? <laughs> no. Nope. <laughs> I have something good. Okay. I am officially, gosh, I think a little less than two weeks away now from turning in my the final version of my thesis. Yay. So Huzzah. I'm excited. Yep. Had a meeting this week with the committee and it was all pretty much minor changes. So I'm very excited. Just finish doing the finishing touches now, making it look nice and uh, going back and rereading my rather rushed work in some spots, which is interesting because there were points where my committee members were going, what the hell are you trying to say here? <laughs> <laughs> Your guess is as good as mine. <laughs> that up. I do not know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I better fix that <laughs> before this is published. <laughs> it just trails off. Just a bunch of ellipses. Wingdings in there. Da, da, da. <laughs> Why did you switch to hieroglyphics partway through this paragraph? I don't understand what a manifest has to do with anything. <laughs> Is this the Zodiac cipher? What's going on? <laughs> All my secrets shall be revealed eventually. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's awesome. Thank you. That's really cool. I can go next. Okay. So I've had Charlie, my my snake, since the beginning of September, I think. And he's only eaten once. And so I was like, oh my God, he's going to die. Like I've been like freaking out about it forever because I've tried to feed him tons of, you know, frozen and then thought out mice and he's rejected all of them. 
So there are several days when I was just like, God damn it, Charlie, just fucking eat. So I've been stressing out about it so much. So the other day we finally decided to try live and he ate. Yay. So it doesn't, I'm not, I'm not happy about it because that means I then have to like go and buy a live mouse and bring it into my house and feed it to him. But I'm just going to get him to eat and he only has to do it once a month. I'm okay with that. So I mean, if you're being realistic, they're not going to be eating frozen mice out in the real world. Exactly. Exactly. So it's like part of me kind of knew this was probably a possibility. But we have a system down where there's a separate little tub that we're going to put both of them in together to make sure that the mouse can't fight back. So it's like the Thunderdome, but he's the only one that comes out. (laughs) Where the snake always wins. <laughs> but I brought that up because he came out finally and he's just kidding, sitting there like, thanks, mom. Thanks me. And I'm like, okay, that's good. I'm glad you're not dead. Thanks, mom. No more of that frozen shit, okay? Yep. I'm like, okay. I wish I would have figured that out 20 bucks sooner, but it's fine. I mean, I guess it's better than thawing the mice and microwaving them that wouldn't be fun you don't microwave them that's a bad idea that bad things will happen do not recommend do not do that (laughs) they will blow up and that's bad no (laughs) it's not what you want i mean i've never tried (laughs) just saying if you're thinking if you're thinking i'm getting a snake and feeding it frozen mice do not microwave them (laughs) (laughs) PSA of the day please do not do this if you take away anything from this episode (laughs) don't microwave mice make sure the hair is virginal (laughs) make sure you don't microwave your mice and please stop asking people's fathers to give you their daughters (laughs) those are your three takeaways today (laughs) um all right well i guess my good thing my good thing is that I start my new job this week, so so excited for you. Hopefully I won't be a disaster at it and that everything will go well. I believe in you. You'll be amazing. I don't know yet because I haven't started, but I, hopefully I don't embarrass myself horribly. Well, good thing they have classes first, right? Yeah, I have to do that for three weeks, but it just sucks because, like, for the first three weeks, my schedule has to go later than it has. <laughs> that it's just going to be an adjustment. Let's just put it that way, because that's like the nicest way to put it. It's going to be an adjustment. The good news is that after that three weeks is up, I go to my normal hours, which I prefer, and there I think go. there'll be a good schedule for me. So that's nice, as long as I don't mess it up. <laughs> well, I'm excited for this new journey for you yep i'm excited i'm just also really nervous it's gonna be fine hopefully it'll be fine it's hard not to be nervous with a new job yeah starting a new school you gotta figure out what kids to sit with at lunch i'm gonna be sitting with my dog at lunch because i'm virtually (laughs) all right uh before we close up for the night i'd like to read a review from one of our satisfied patrons this review comes from Coolness Ryan Pod. It's entitled Hilarious and Knowledgeable. One of my new favorites, a concise blend of information and wit. It takes subjects I know and those I don't and makes a meal of both. 
Listen to the Bunyips episode, and I promise you'll be hooked. Highly recommended. Hey, thanks. (laughs) Finger guns. Pew, pew. (laughs) (laughs) Maverick. Just kidding. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's exactly what I was thinking. Get out of my brain. (laughs) No one's supposed to be in there. I've got weird closets. (laughs) Do they hold skeletons? (laughs) We don't talk about the skeletons in my closets. She's not Bluebeard. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm not Bluebeard. All right. Thank you for coming to visit our beautiful pizzeria and enjoying... Oh my God, I didn't. (laughs) 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 And enjoying a wet and turbulent slice. (laughs) Oh no. Oh no, wet slice. (laughs) (laughs) Scottish mythology. It's wet and wild. (laughs) Why is my pizza so moist? Hopefully it doesn't have any virgin hair in it. Ew, no. (laughs) no. We do not. No virgins were harmed at the making of this episode. (laughs) (laughs) I can't do this. Why did I write it this way? Thank you for coming to visit our beautiful pizzeria and enjoying a wet and turbulent slice of Scottish mythology. Pineapple Pizza Podcast, sweet and cheesy. Not everyone understands our awesomeness, but we're glad that you do, question mark. If you're enjoying the show and you'd like to help support us, check out our Tee Public shop for some amazingly fun and funny merch. Or if you want to do a one-time donation, you can do that on buymeacoffee.com and buy us a fresh slice, because we can never get enough of basically anything, if we're being honest. If you absolutely love the show and you want to check out some fantastic bonus content, you can become a donor on Patreon and earn all kinds of amazing benefits. We have three tiers to accommodate almost any budget. The $3 Mythbuster, $7 Cryptid Hunter, and $15 Storyteller. Become a patron today and start enjoying all the perks and extra content right away. Don't forget, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at pineapp.com. Pizza Pod. That's Pine App APP Pizza Pod. You can also send us questions, comments, and topic ideas at Pine App APP Pizza Pod at gmail.com. Remember, there's the two P's in app. Otherwise, you're emailing someone else, and I don't want to be held responsible for that. Thanks for stopping in for some deliciously weird morsels. And just remember, no matter how you slice it, you're awesome. And we love you.